purchase x-rays, even sonar, anything they can think of. Each time the same man shows up, but no mysterious cargo is in the truck anywhere. So reluctantly, week after week after week, they wave the driver through. Finally, after many years, this customs officer is getting ready to retire It's his last day on the job, and this same driver pulls up in a truck. And they go through it all again, and finally, before waving him through, he says, Listen, I'm retiring today. We've been at this for years. I know that you're smuggling things. I know because I know all the signs are there. Would you please tell me, I, I will not even be an officer by the end of the day today. I swear before all truth that I will not tell anybody what the answer is. Will you please, so that I can retire in peace, please tell me what it is that you are smuggling. The driver stares him in the eyes and says, Trucks. Sometimes we miss the obvious because we're looking for something smaller. What's the gift of Christmas? We're going to look at a passage. It's Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 3 through 7 as we look at the gift of Christmas. This is St. Paul writing to the Christians in Galatia in the first century. He says, so also, when we were children... We were in slavery under the basic principles of the world, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you were sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, or Daddy, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. It's easy to miss the obvious. What is the gift of Christmas with all the things you unwrap under the tree, all the principles of justice and peace and all of that? It's easy to miss the obvious because we're looking for something small. The gift of Christmas is Jesus Christ, God the Son, the gift of Christmas is God himself. And that's not something that everybody's necessarily looking for. If we're really honest, I know I am always the biggest sinner in the room. I am damaged goods. The things I've done in my thought life, with my tongue, with my my entire life, none of it reflects the beauty and glory and goodness of God. I haven't obeyed God perfectly with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength for 10 seconds. And yet, even aside from that, there is something when you're really honest Something that's rather terrifying about the thought of God. You know, we're not dealing with an ancient Near Eastern sky god. We're not dealing with a figment of the imagination or a literary construct. If there really is a God behind the universe, a God who is so immense and so powerful and so ferocious that he can fuel stars billions of light years away. He can sustain all of that moment by moment and yet also be aware of the most intimate and intricate detail. As Jesus said, even the hairs of your head are numbered. That kind of God 
is absolutely terrifying when you understand that there is nothing at all that you can do to control that God or to gain any leverage over it at all. We don't really know what we're dealing with when we're dealing with the thought of an actual God who actually, truly exists. We don't always want to get close to that, you know. Uh, You can imagine... You meet a new friend at work, you don't know him really well, but you decide you're going to kind of hang out the weekend together, and, and he suggests going down to Johnson Shut-Ins State Park. Any of you been to Johnson Shut-Ins? It's, it's a nice park. Missouri has some good parks. And you go there, and you're, you're sitting there kind of on the ledge, and there's this little cliff below you, and some water, and kids playing in the water below, and it's really nice, and your, your new friend says, you know, have you ever seen a real canyon? And you're like, well, what do you mean? He says, watch this. And he lifts his arms and he says something in a language that you have never heard or understood. And there before you, the cliff drops off two or three miles down. The cavern expands 20, 30 miles across. There at the bottom, you see this tiny sliver of a river running through at the bottom of this larger than the Grand Canyon, Grand Canyon. And you look at your friend and you can see in the dark spots of his eyes the spiral of the universe going around. And you have to answer the question. Do you get back in the car with them? That's what you're dealing with, with God coming to earth. That's what you're dealing with, with Jesus. It's terrifying. How is this a good gift if this is the gift of Christmas? Friends, it's a good gift when you understand why God came to earth in the person of Jesus why he was born, what he was born to do. You all know what it's like in an argument. If you've been here a while, you've heard me make the point. Uh, In an argument, arguments go on so long as no one is willing to take the blame. Uh, You know what it's like. It can go on for decades. You're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're the one that's wrong. No, you're the one that's wrong. Don't get emotional. You're the one that's wrong. Don't make this about my emotions. You're the one that's wrong. And it keeps going on. And some of you have been having this argument with your spouse for 30 or 40 years. And, uh, and it never really ends until somebody is willing to take the blame and say, okay, I'm wrong. And that opens a door then for relationship. And what Jesus was doing, what God was doing in coming to earth, in piercing this cosmos, this world of time and space, invading its envelope and becoming a creature within it, what God was doing is he was saying in this infernal argument, this war between humanity and me, you don't want to get close to me. Because, because you know what I am, and you know I am good, and you know that you're not as good as you'd like to present yourself. In this war between humanity and, and this infinite personal God outside the cosmos, in this conflict, God was finally stepping in as we're saying, no, you're wrong. And he's saying, no, you're wrong. And no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. God is finally stepping in. And even though he was actually the only righteous one in play, he steps into the universe, becomes man. And he goes to a cross. It's in every Christian church, in every denomination. Why? Because on that cross, God came to earth in order to take the blame, in order to bring an end to the conflict so that you can know God, so that you can be in relationship with him, so that you can not only draw near but want to because you see in him a face not of anger or rage, but a face of infinite 
personal love and affection for you. A God who is willing to take all of the blame for all that I've done and for all that I am in order to make peace with humanity. Friends, that's the gift of Christmas. The gift of Christmas is God himself come to earth to take the blame for my sin and yours so that we could get right with him. How long does it take to get right with God? Like any gift, all you have to do is receive. Lord Jesus, I come with empty hands of faith. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to thy cross I cling. Lord Jesus, you who are God in the flesh, I come to you and I trust you to end the conflict and make peace between me and a God who actually exists in reality. That's the mystery. Jesus, who died and rose and is at the right hand of the Father and is present by his Holy Spirit now, you are in the house of Jesus. And he is speaking to you. Generosity himself is speaking to you. Saying, I am a gift. Come to me. I am the mystery long hidden. I am the reason for all of this. I am Jesus, the light and the hope of the world. It was Christmas of 1944 when Walter Wangeren Jr. recalls how in those late days of the Second World War and the days leading up to Christmas Eve, Walter's father did the same thing he always did at Christmas time. He went into a room in their house. He removed the outside doorknob of the room and went inside so that the children could not break in. And then inside that room, with no doorknob on the outside, he decorated a Christmas tree, and he stacked presents all around it. And as their father carried on the great tradition, the Wangering kids did the same thing they always did at Christmas time. They stood right outside the door, dreaming about what would await them on Christmas morning. That is, every child except Walter. Walter had turned 10 years old in 1944, and he writes this. He said, I had that year become an adult all at once. Silent, I was solemn, watchful, infinitely cautious. And while my brothers and sisters could barely contain their excitement, I held myself in severe restraint. Why, you see, the the previous Christmas, uh, something had happened that had traumatized Walter. His brother for reasons they still don't understand, had broken down on Christmas Day, sobbing in a deep despair of depression and hopelessness. And Walter's brother, seeing that in him, it left an indelible mark of sadness on Walter. He says, I was shocked to discover that the Christmas time was not inviolate. I was horrified that pain could invade the holy ceremony. And I was angry that my father had not protected my brother from his tears. And besides, what if you hope for doesn't happen? It's treacherous to hope. The harder you hope, the more vulnerable you become. With all of that in mind, Walter decided he wasn't going to make himself vulnerable like that ever again. He wasn't going to hope. He wasn't going to be caught off guard by whatever might happen when his dad opened the door the next Christmas Eve. When the time had finally come for the tradition to meet its climax, Walter stood beside his anxious brothers and sisters, the only one with a frown. 
And Walter's father opened the door to the room and all the wangering kids ran in, gasping and giggling over what they saw. That is every child except Walter. Walter stood in the doorway, gazing at the tree and at the piles of presents. And then he turned to look at his father, who stood there waiting. And what he saw caused Walter to have an emotional movement of his own that Christmas Eve, one quite unlike his brother Paul's from the year before. He says this, he says, There was my father, standing center in the room and gazing straight at me. And this is the wonder fixed in my memory that the man himself was filled with a yearning, with painful expectation on account of me. Everything else in the room was just as it had been the year before and the year before that. But this was new, this thing I had never seen before, that my father too had had to trust the promises against their disappointments. So said his steady eyes on mine, but among the promises to which my father had committed his soul, his hope, and his faith, the most important one was this, that his eldest son should soften and be glad. He gazed at me, waiting, waiting for me, waiting for his Christmas to be received by his son and returned to him again. And I began to cry. I began to weep, oh my father, silently, merely spilling tears and staring straight back at him, defenseless because there was no need for defenses. I cried, glad and unashamed tears because what was this room for so long locked that I was entering? Why, it was my very own heart. And why had I been afraid? Because I thought I'd find it empty, a hard and unfeeling thing. But there, in the room, was my father. And there, in my father, was the love that had furnished this room and prepared it for us no differently than he had prepared it the year before, yet trusting and yearning and desiring our joy. And what else could such a love be but my Jesus drawing near to me? Look then, what I have found in my father's room In my heart, after all, was the dearest Lord Jesus Christ. And I leaned my cheek against the door jamb. And I grinned like a grown-up ten years old. And I sobbed as if I were two. And my father moved from the middle of the room and he walked toward me, still empty-handed. But he spread his hands and he gathered me to himself. And I put my arms around his hardened body. And so we, both of us, were full. Friends, if you want God, if you want to know, if you want to understand, if you want to draw close to that beating heart at the center of a cosmos that is far larger than you can ever imagine, if you want to draw near to him as a father, friends, look at Jesus, because he is willing, and he came to earth for that very purpose. All you have to do to receive a gift is say, Lord Jesus, yes, yes. Yes, let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you gave us your son. You gave us your son, Father, because you loved us. Thank you for coming into the world this Christmas Eve. We do worship you, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Father, eternal God the Son, Logos, Word of God himself. Lord Jesus, we worship you, we praise you, and we thank you.
Amen.